I wanted to go into like the film and animation industry. I wanted to be a storyboard artist. And one of the things I liked about being a storyboard artist was you plan every single frame that the audience views. And in a way, UX design is very similar to that because you're designing these flows. Like how is the user going to interact with the product? Like um, where, what decisions do they have to make? Uh, what are the options they can do and how does that change depending on the context of like the device they're on, for instance. In this episode of the Fika Sessions, we meet UX designer Izzy Martin to find out all we can about user experience design in the games industry. <laughs> Thank you. This is super cool, actually, because uh, I'm super excited to have you here. Say that to everyone. Mm -hmm. But UX, uh, which we're going to talk about today, mm -hmm. is one of those subjects that come up a couple of times that people mm -hmm. have, have said, we really want to hear more about UX. So I'm really looking forward to digging into your area of expertise Thank today. you. I'm really excited to nerd out about it today. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but first of all, the important part, mm -hmm. You brought Fika. Yes, I did bring Fika. You really need to tell us about <laughs> that. So these are um, from one of my favorite Arabic confectionaries around the corner. It's from the office, uh, around the corner from the office. This one, I'm not sure what it's called. Please don't judge me. But <laughs> this one is one of my favorites. This is Helva Tel Jimne. So it's a sweet Arabic cheese dessert. Um, and it's very difficult to make, at least in my family. I only have one auntie that makes it and like everyone in my family loves it. So it's kind of like during the holidays, we're like always bartering, like how many each can eat. But like there's a little bit of like a simple syrup here. So like if you want it to be even sweeter, like I mean, just dip it in and like. <laughs> so it's so unhealthy. It is, but that's, they're so good, but you can only eat like a couple at a time, at least for me. Like I tried one time to like overindulge on one of them. It was like a deep fried donut hole basically. And my teta would make them for the holidays. And like when I was a kid, like I had no self-control and I made myself so sick that I couldn't eat them for like the next 10 years. It was just like too much, too sweet. <laughs> But yeah, we're gonna devour these today, I'm mm -hmm. sure. I think I see people behind the camera staring, <laughs> at, them, staring at them as well. But before we get to that point, mm -hmm. um, you work here at Mass Entertainment mm -hmm. as a UX designer. Yeah. And on a kind of top level, just a, a short description mm -hmm. of what a UX designer does. So a UX designer, first of all, uh, it stands for user experience. So they are designers who work with um, developers, product owners, data analysts, all of these people to ensure whatever product it is we are designing, um, it matches user expectation of what they think they can do with it and if there is a specific task they want to do, like how they would accomplish it so that it feels as natural and effortless as possible. Yep. Um, so making sure that it's designed from a human perspective and not necessarily like a computer or what's logically uh, from a machine perspective, basically. Right. But how did you end up at Massive Entertainment? Uh, so that's actually a really funny story. I came from the Ubisoft San Francisco studio, actually. I started working there right after I graduated university um, in the IT department, actually. I was basically a high-tech librarian. <laughs> so <What> like, <laughs> so no basically, um, all of the materials that you see advertised for our games, like whether it's like trailers or it's packaging or screenshots, things like that, 
I, I used to manage the system like that held all of those like files right. and assets and things like that. So that's why I say I was a digital librarian. Um, because yeah, I was just like keeping track of everything and making sure that people had access to correct things or managing archiving. So I worked um, as a digital asset manager assistant in San Francisco for two and a half, roughly three years. Um, and I knew I wanted to go into design. Like I figured that out, like within the first six months, I was like, I think I really want to do UX design because there was a big focus on um, software design. And I also really want to work in the entertainment industry. So games is actually perfect for UX design. Yeah. Um, and I was on a work trip actually in the Paris office and I saw the position and I applied for it. Um, and then like a few weeks later, I had an interview with some of the recruiters here at Massive and then like a few more interviews. Um, and then like maybe a month and a half later, like right before the Thanksgiving holidays when I was going to go visit my family, I got uh, an offer letter and I was just like, oh my gosh, I think I'm moving to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what was it with user experience that attracted you? You said that already mm -hmm. when you were working in San Francisco, you yeah. knew that's what you wanted to do. Okay. So it ties a little bit back into my education. It's like, it's a bit random. So I went to school at University of Idaho and my degree was, uh, it's a strange name, it's called Virtual Technology and Design. So like the whole program was about 3D modeling, animation, visualization, VR technology. And originally when I was studying there, I wanted to go into like the film and animation industry. I wanted to be a storyboard artist. And one of the things I liked about being a storyboard artist was you plan every single frame that the audience views. And in a way, UX design is very similar to that because you're designing these flows. Like how is the user going to interact with the product? Like um, where, what decisions do they have to make? Uh, what are the options they can do and how does that change depending on the context of like the device they're on for instance or which input type like is it mouse keyboard is it a gamepad controller or is it like touch on a mobile screen things like that so in that way I really like it because you get to map out every single point that the user goes through right so how do for creating you work primarily with mm. Ubisoft Connect yes um, <clears throat> but how does that design process look where do you start in, in creating the user flow, for example, yeah. or just the, the general design of one of those kind um, of products? So we generally start off with um, some kind of like feature intent that we want to develop. And this is like a little bit roughly defined um, with both highlighting what is the end value we want to deliver to the user, also um, business value as well. Um, and then like I work with the UI designer really closely. And so whenever we start on any project, we usually begin with like, why would someone want to use this feature? Like what is the actual end value? And based on the whys, uh, then we decide, okay, well, or we hypothesize like, how are they going to do this? Um, so where is the natural entry point that a player is going to access this feature? Is it actually like they go into their friends list because this is something that's a bit more social in nature. So instead of like launching all of these like other separate uh, programs, maybe like the most natural flow is to start with their friend or start with the game. Um, so that's one part of it. We start with the why and then the how. And once we've hypothesized the how, 
Um, this is usually when we uh, talk to data analysts to understand like, well, what is the current user behavior of the tools that we have out there? And if we see anything that could match what we've hypothesized, then we're like, okay, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Um, we'll start to draft like user flows and some low fidelity prototypes, which then we would take to the games lab here and start to plan a user test to see if that actually Matt, if we were to give them the task, how would you do X, Y, Z? Right. Are they actually going to go through the flow that we've hypothesized is going to be the most natural? Um, so yeah, that's roughly what we do in the beginning, at least. So how practically does this work going from that kind of hypothesis mm -hmm. to the games lab? Um, so from once we've established like our hypotheses, then we, I usually start drafting user flows, which it's basically like boxes and arrows, as I like to describe them. It's a combination of what decisions the user needs to make um, for themselves, but then also uh, from a technical perspective, like what checks do we need to have in the background to make sure that this is possible? Uh, like, is the game already installed? Is there an update for the game? Um, is this player friends with the other player? Things like that. So it's a combination of um, decisions the player has to make, but then also like technically what is going on. So once we've run through those flows, and we usually, at this point, we are working with developers to get feedback to make sure that we're not missing something or that what we're proposing is actually feasible. Uh, given yeah, the time frame, yeah, yeah, that's really important. <laughs> the feasibility of it all. Um, so then once we've like gone through a couple of iterations on the very basic flows that we want to accomplish, that's when uh, we continue working on uh, wireframing. And so when I work on that, it's very like basic grayscale. Um, it's not meant to be UI heavy because that is the job of the UI designer and he's really, really good at his <laughs> job. And he always brings such good feedback whenever we talk about like visualizing information especially. Um, so I make these like grayscale screens. We do a lot of review back and forth. Um, again, we go to our developers and we get feedback from them. And at this point when we've decided, okay, this is what we think the base flow is going to be, that's when we work with Games Lab and we say, okay, we want, we have this, this, and this hypothesis, and we want to see if this is actually how users behave. Um, so then at that point, I'll start writing a user test guide. Games Lab will start recruiting based on the player profiles that we're looking for. Um, and then the UI designer, he'll start creating clickable high fidelity prototypes so that it's as close to mimicking live software as possible. Um, and then Games Lab facilitates the uh, user test. Um, we get a lot of really good feedback. They fill out a report as well, so we have it documented. And then we review the feedback um, with the whole development team, like the programmers, the product owner, the data analyst. And we talk about, okay, what's the next iteration of this? Like, what are the things that were good or bad about our prototype? Or do we need to go back to the drawing board at this point? Right. Uh, so, yeah. Because it, it feels <laughs> like UX uh, and that kind of design is mm -hmm. one of those things that we've talked about this before mm -hmm. in the FICA sessions that when it's good, you mm -hmm. don't really think about it. Yeah. When it's bad, you really think yeah. about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But what kind of factors goes into making a good experience for the mm -hmm. user when they use the end product? Um, so I think particularly for Ubisoft Connect, it is the seamlessness with the game. 
because right. that's what players are there for. They want to play the game. Uh, Ubisoft doesn't connect just, uh, it doesn't exist just because we need a PC client. It exists because we have all of these games and we want to distribute them to our players who want to play on PC. Yeah. So I think the seamlessness and the integration with the games is really, really important. And this is one thing that um, we do at Ubisoft Connect is we take on some of these services. So for instance, for multiplayer games, um, in other companies, I believe they have to create their own like friends uh, system, their own chat system, their own game invite system. And for game invites and friends list, that's something that we take on right. um, so that the it takes a burden off of the game production development team. So it's not something that they have to worry about and build, that they can work with us and we can work with them on how it fits seamlessly into their game as possible. So they don't have to worry about like, how do our players find each other? How do they send invites to each other and all that jazz? Like that's handled on our end. So I would say for at least Ubisoft Connect, that is the uh, most valuable thing for the user experience. Like it brings value to the players playing their game. Right, so there's a, then there's a lot of different mm -hmm. like game factors to mm -hmm. take into account at the same time for the different games? Yeah, um, I think on a separate note, one of the big factors is on which device you're playing. Right. Because we recently launched a cross-platform kind of like game overlay so that players can access Ubisoft Connect features regardless if they're on PC, if they're like on Xbox or PlayStation 5. Um, and one of the big challenges of this is to make a cohesive design that was also navigable on all of these devices, which we hadn't necessarily been before. Um, so making sure that like the behavior for mouse and keyboard makes sense or for gamepad. And one of the things uh, when you're working on a console game is that you have limited buttons when <laughs> you're working with gamepads because you have like the PlayStation or the Xbox logo button and that's reserved by the actual console. Right. Um, and then you have all of the other buttons which are reserved by the game, understandably so, because like how else are players gonna play the game? So making sure that we uh, can use, utilize like previous like navigation behavior patterns so that it's not new for our players and then also making sure that the way they access um, the features, especially on console, can be as painless and easy as possible. Yeah. Um, and one of those actually is by integrating with the game. So like for instance, if you wanna get um, a reward or like unlock some kind of a challenge or participate in an event, there are some of the games they actually uh, redirect immediately to the overlay. Um, so players don't have to go to like the pause menu or launch Ubisoft Connect by themselves. Like it's a natural part of them interacting with the game menus. Right, I think that's really interesting. We talked a bit about that when we did, uh, we had a discussion before this, just mm -hmm. about the differences between Mm -hmm. Mouse, uh, keyboard, and touchscreens, for example, mm -hmm. these two, to make sure that they, <laughs> they all work. Mm -hmm. But how do you test for this then? You, you mentioned GameSlab, which is yeah. a big thing. Uh, here we have our own uh, GameSlab mm -hmm. here as Massive. Like, how do those tests work? Um, so before Corona, um, we would have them all in person, like in the lab. We would recruit our players and they would come to the lab. Um, and we would provide them with the devices like the PC or the console that they would test on. Um, so it would be a very, very controlled environment. And usually we, for our tests, we prioritize like one kind of device or one kind of navigation pattern that we really wanna like hit home on. So maybe 
Um, if we're focusing on like the PC navigation, then our prototype will just focus on navigating with the keyboard and how does the focus change when you're navigating with the keyboard or like if you're navigating with the mouse and the hover interactions and things like that and what happens if you switch like halfway between like you were navigating once with the keyboard and now you're um, messing around with your cursor. Right. Yeah. So, and you work a lot with user research, yeah. for example, which also is a big thing here at Massive. Um, how does that interaction work? Like, how does your communication with mm -hmm. those teams look, more or less on a daily basis? So we've actually started as of a year and a half ago, I believe. We have um, dedicated user researchers to our team, which makes a world of a difference because um, we now have people who are experts on um, either community research or like user research where they can go out into the community and get feedback from our players directly or um, if there's a certain subject that we would like um, more research on, they can take that on and go to either academic resources or do benchmarking of uh, competitors as well. Um, so that's one way. We have them directly uh, integrated into our team. So it's not like this um, ad hoc request. It's they're really a part of the process from the get-go of what we're trying to do. Right. So how does the design process from that Mm -hmm. You take the results from the user test, mm -hmm. and then you have to maybe reevaluate mm -hmm. or go back. Like, uh, how does that kind of iterative design mm -hmm. look over time while you're working on a project? Um, so, particularly for Ubisoft Connect, because we are we're designing software essentially, so it is different from a game um, where we are designing in smaller milestones. So we might be like um, pushing out new features like very iteratively and. Um, multiple times during the year, for instance. Um, so when we get results from a user test back, we might choose, like we'll review it with our product owner um, and the analyst scrum master developers, and we'll all give feedback and input. Developers will give feedback on if we want to accomplish XYZ thing that the players had brought up, this is how much time we estimate it's going to take. And then the same from design. If we want to do that, then we need to budget this amount of time for additional testing or creating new screens or components that go into the uh, design. And then as well, we have to budget time for testing as well, like testing live software, not right. just user testing. Um, so we work as a development team with the product owner and they make decisions on what is the most important thing that needs to be delivered for this to be as a cohesive as cohesive as an experience as possible. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of like planning ahead, like we're going to first deliver this, then we'll deliver that, that, that. So small little uh, bite-sized chunks. Right. So how, do, how does we, you, I think you touched upon it before, but I'm still really interested in, in like how a person actually interacts with these mm -hmm. systems. As we said, like bad user uh, experience design mm -hmm. that you really notice and then you don't really think about it because you just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think a good UX flow looks like? Um, one thing I would say is to be wary of how much information you're presenting to the user and also think about the context that the user is in. Um, so for instance, like what information is relevant to them if on their devices, for instance, because if someone is accessing the companion app, for instance, that 
um, their context is going to be different. They don't necessarily need to be at home at their PC. They could be on the go. Um, they might have like faulty internet coming in and out. They're on a mobile device. They have all of these other apps going on on their phone. They might have like notifications, all of these other things which could be distracting them and which could be taking them in and out of the flow that we're trying to get them to do, for instance. Right. Um, so that is one thing to be conscientious of like the context of how the user is going to accomplish this. Right. So how does uh, an average day, so to speak, average mm -hmm. yeah. day look for, for you? Like how you, you come mm -hmm. to work and then what happens generally? It will depend on the stage of the project, which I think is the same for everyone that works here at Massive. It's, if it's at the beginning, it's going to be uh, very research heavy. It's usually like um, Cassio and I, the UI designer, we're working very closely together and it's a lot of us talking, it's writing, it's us going on the internet or testing like various other products, um, which is similar to what we might be trying to design. Um, if it's in the middle of testing, I'm going to be writing a user test guide and Cassie is going to be working on creating those beautiful uh, high fidelity prototypes. Um, if we're in the middle of testing, we're going to be like the entire week just blocked off with Games Lab and we're just going to be participating in the user tests. Um, and then after that, it could be like I spend my days like um, working in Figma, which is our prototyping tool that we use. It's similar to like Adobe XD or Sketch. Um, so I might be working on wireframes then. I might be meeting with developers to get feedback from them. Actually, that's probably most of my days. It's just regardless, <laughs> I'm always getting feedback. If it's with players, if it's with developers, if it's with our POs, if it's with designers that are outside the projects, it's probably number one thing. My day is going to, I'm going to get feedback. Right. So what yeah, you mentioned now, we started talking about which tools you use. Mm -hmm. That's your primary tool. Is there anything else that you use? Um, uh, Figma, I would say, I mean, like Microsoft Word and PowerPoint, and just, first. yeah, for documentation or presentations. Um, and then our data analytics tool, which I'm not in every day. Most of the time I go in when I have a specific question in mind. If it's not something that's answered within the dashboard that the analytics team has created, then I might message them asking like, ah, I'm trying to find this, or is there a way we can find out this, this, and that about our games or our players? Um, and if it's not something that's in the dashboard, then I'll create a ticket and we'll work together to see if they have the data to actually answer my questions. Right. So with that, mm -hmm. uh, we talked earlier about mouse and keyboard, mm -hmm. and um, now we talked about notifications. But the, we talked about this uh, during our interview mm -hmm. uh, before this as well, like how to display the information to the player, mm -hmm. just the difference in, in mouse hovering and mm -hmm. um, uh, actually using a controller, yeah. like how you display that information to to the player yeah. in different ways. Um, so for, there's actually like two things I want to touch on for this. It's um, accessibility and localization, which I guess localization is a part of accessibility. So for well, one of the patterns we have in the PC overlay for mouse hover, if we have something, for instance, it's a menu item, but it's just an icon. Um, for accessibility requirements, like to make that icon or what that is as understandable as possible, it should also be accompanied by text that can either be read by a user or could be read out loud by a screen reader, for instance. Um, and also we have to create components that 
adjust to all the various localizations because writing notifications in English, I think it's something like 10, 11 characters, really bad, it's my native language, I should know this, versus in German, it's something like 19 or 21. Right. It's like super long difference. And then if you get into the um, Asian characters, for instance, like either, uh, I can't remember if it's Mandarin Chinese or Cantonese, but either in the Chinese or the Japanese script, the heights also are different for the fonts. So having uh, yeah, to adjust for that as well. Um, and then for controller, you'll see a couple of different ways that they display information. One is with the controller legend at the bottom. Um, and sometimes depending on where you're focused on the element, like I think for the select, it's X, it might, instead of saying select, it might say view rewards or something like that. So you want to be as descriptive as possible, but also see can that um, fit that information if it's in another language as well? Again, right. like, is it going to fit with German? <laughs> uh, and that's uh, two main differences between mouse and keyboard is um, you might have either the uh, tooltips or you'll have the keyboard legend. And then with the keyboard legend in particular, you have to think about, like, the player's eye is on the screen where it's focused. Um, so they might not necessarily see the keyboard legend or maybe they're not paying attention to it because they're focused on where the focus is on the screen, you know? Right. But how, how do you solve that problem? Localization, mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about mm -hmm. accessibility because it's yeah. a big thing at Ubisoft. It's a big thing coming uh, finally in, mm -hmm. in games in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm just interested in the localization thing. Um, how do you solve those problems? Like, how do you plan ahead for the changing mm -hmm. uh, size of, of text, mm -hmm. either in legends or in mouseovers? Or yeah, how do so you practically work with that? Practically speaking, you, this is usually at the prototyping point um, where Cassie and I are working on a high fidelity prototype. And um, we usually go through, and some of the feedback I give is like, what is that going to look like in German or in Russian or in um, Japanese? And we do have a tool that manages all of the localizations. So sometimes like if we know what text is supposed to be there, I'll go and I'll find it in the longest uh, possible character length and we'll literally just copy and paste it into the wireframe to see if that fits. Right. Um, we do also have a design system for all of our actual components and something that all of the UI designers are working on to ensure that we do have the proper spacing and that it does accommodate all of these texts. Um, and then we also work with copywriters who I am so glad for that they exist because there was one point for a user test where I had to do the copywriting. I don't recommend it just because you are a native speaker of that language does not mean you are good enough to do copywriting. So I'm very grateful for copywriters um, because something like that I've been working on for a while, I'm like, yeah, this is how I would explain to someone to someone who hasn't been in the project for six months and this is the first time they're seeing it, that might not necessarily make sense what I'm trying to tell them. Right. Um, so this is really <laughs> a, a great skill of the copywriters to make sure that they are taking all of the information that we want to convey to the player in a concise and clear manner as possible because how many interfaces do you see where it's just like a wall of text, you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to read like all that text. I just want to like click through and do the things and I don't want to have to think about it. But uh, yeah, accessibility mm -hmm. in general, how has that approach kind of changed? What do you, what do you take into account now mm -hmm. when designing uh, more for accessibility as well mm -hmm. in the user experience? 
So this is, uh, it's been a hot topic with everyone on our team and I'm really happy that everyone is on board to make sure that our client is, or all of our products are as accessible as possible. Um, so there are things which can be handled on the UI end, which our team has done a really good job with looking at what are the requirements for minimum font sizes if it's being displayed on a PC versus a mobile device or a TV screen, which on a TV screen, if you're playing with like your controller, you're probably going to be on your couch, probably going to be like, what, maybe a meter or two distance away from it. Always. Yeah. So you have to make sure that it's visible from that kind of a distance. Um, and then other things to make sure that for players who might have some visual impairments, like maybe different kinds of color blindness, that the colors that you're using are actually still visible to right. people. So those are two things that are handled specifically by the design system and our UI designers. Um, but this is actually something that I started to think about few months ago when we want to talk about screen readers, for instance, because I've never had to use a screen reader before. So it's just new territory for me and I just had this idea one day I was like why don't I just turn on narrator mode on my Windows PC and actually use it to see what it's like and I had this huge realization when I was trying to use basic software like um, Spotify or the Google browser um, Xbox PC client like just various random kinds of software on my PC and I gave myself the exercise um, if I couldn't look at the screen and I was just tab, tab, tabbing through, does the order of elements make sense to me? Given the fact that I can't look at this, do I know what actions I can do um, on each of the elements, how many elements there are? Um, and coming to that realization that there were just so much information on the screen and all of the softwares behave very differently. Um, it just made me realize like we have so much work to do. We really have to up our game. And some of them like had really good solutions. Like I really liked uh, Microsoft Teams, for instance. I believe in their menu, their, the narrator mode actually reads out to you how many items are actually in the menu. Cause like we take for granted, like we can look like, oh, there's five or there's seven like menu icons. But for someone who might rely on a screen reader, they need to know that information. Yeah. So, cause so, so they don't like tab, tab uh, endlessly. Um, they need to know where they're going. Yeah. So no. that was a huge realization for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. No, it's, it's been super cool to see uh, here at Ubisoft as well how just seriously uh, that topic. Mm -hmm. People have really started to take it more and more mm -hmm. seriously uh, with new initiatives for mm -hmm. that. But uh, if I'm sitting at home now watching this, I'm interested mm -hmm. in, in UX design. Do you have any tips or resources for me where I could yeah. take my next steps? So I attended pre-corona, I believe this was in 2019, it was the Game UX Conference. They have on YouTube like their whole playlist and their page which shows all of the speakers from that conference and there's some really great resources. If you want to learn more about accessible design, um, localization, navigation, how much information is displayed on the screens depending on the context of the player. I really, really recommend going through and watching those videos. It's maybe a, like all of them would be a couple hours of your time, but they're really, really good, like really good speakers from all parts of the game industry. Since this uh, is from 2019, I'm mm -hmm. going to beat 2019 and say the links are in the doobly-doo. <laughs> um, can't believe I said that again. <laughs> You know what it's time for? I'm staring at them yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, It's time for Pika. Pika. I think. 
these were the the Helvetel Gibne. Yeah, please try this one. Like this is one of my favorites. So yeah, just take a little. I'm gonna dip a little bit into the simple syrup. They, uh, they are quite like mushy. Yeah, very very um, soft and creamy. Gonna see if I can show that to one camera. If you're listening to podcasts, I can white with with nuts on top. Pistachios, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nuts in these. Mm. Oh dear, I'm actually dipping into. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> no shame. It's really good. Done this enough to not feel any shame. <laughs> shame for eating on camera. Wow, those were good. Mm-hmm. So soft, so mushy. Mm-hmm. Can we have one of the big ones? Yeah, well? yeah, for sure. These are kind of like... They're already <clears throat> soaked in syrup, so oh, maybe Jesus not Christ. dip them in there. That's not. Yeah. Okay. But thank you very much. I'm, oh. I'm going to say that while you eat. Thank you so much for coming today. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been great having you here. Thank you so much. This has been really great. It's really fun to mm-hmm. find out more about how, what your job looks mm-hmm. like. Again, as I said, a lot of people have been asking for this, so it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eat this now. But thank Go you very for much it. for coming. Thank you so much for joining our Fika today. We put a bunch of useful links in the description, so make sure to check those out if you want to learn more. Also, remember to like, subscribe, and all that fun stuff you do on the internet. Until next time, take care.